Welcome to the Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations for drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. Hey, how's it going out there, everybody? Welcome to the Drum Shuffle. Jamie Eads joining you as always. This is episode 69. Ha ha. Hope everybody's having a fantastic week out there. I know that we sure are over here at the Drum Shuffle World Headquarters. I've got uh, a really uh, just a, a fantastic episode today, in my opinion. I am going to be joined by my pal, Jerry Pentecost. Um, I have known Jerry now for probably going on close to three years. Um, Jerry is just a fantastic drummer, DJ, producer. Uh, Jerry just does all kinds of cool stuff. You will know him best, most likely, from his work with either Brent Cobb, Amanda Shires, or with the Americana uh, Honors and Award Shows with the Americana Music Association. So we're going to be joined by Jerry in just a moment after this message from our sponsor, Los Cabos Drumsticks. The best kept secret for drummers is finally out. Los Cabos drumsticks may look like the sticks you grew up with, but these are not your father's drumsticks. Los Cabos drumsticks is Canada's number one drumstick brand, and they are coming to a retailer near you. With operations in over 28 countries worldwide, thousands of drummers have already discovered the Los Cabos difference. Using FSC certified wood from Canada and the US, Los Cabos make the finest quality drumsticks, percussion tools, and accessories on the market. The best news, Los Cabos Drumsticks offers you a ton of choice. They have 22 individual drumstick models and 14 percussion tools, many of which are available in three different wood types, maple, white hickory, and red hickory. Red hickory comes from the center or heart of the hickory tree and has been independently proven to be both stronger and more elastic than white hickory without adding a lot of weight. While most drumstick manufacturers have shunned red hickory, Los Cabos Drumsticks has embraced it, becoming the only established stick brand in the world to offer a full line of red hickory drumsticks. To learn more about Los Cabos Drumsticks, visit them online at loscabosdrumsticks.com Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and don't forget to ask for Los Cabos Drumsticks at your favorite retailer. Dare to be different. Join the Red Hickory Revolution with Los Cabos Drumsticks. All right, guys and girls, as I mentioned, I'm going to be joined in just a moment by my friend Jerry Pentecost. Uh, Jerry is a Nashville native, um, which is kind of weird. It's kind of like a unicorn for a guy to make a living in the Nashville music scene to be originally from Nashville. Uh, so it's kind of cool. Uh, he is the rarest uh, of of breeds, I guess you would say. Uh, but Jerry's just one of the super nice guys in the business. And you will hear him describe himself as a virus in the best way. It just seems like Jerry is everywhere. Um, he was in Modern Drummer here, just an, uh, an issue 
issue or two back. Um, he's really starting to come into his own and get the 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 due that he has deserved. Um, he is again just one of the nice guys out there. Stays super busy with uh, recording live gigs, doing uh, DJ gigs. Uh, he's just got his hand in everything uh, in Nashville and has really come into his own as an Americana drummer, a first call Americana drummer. Uh, he's currently out on the road with Brent Cobb. Um, he served for a few years as the musical director in Amanda Shire's fantastic band. That's how I met Jerry when he was on the road with Amanda. Um, and he's just got all kinds of cool stuff going on. So please help me welcome to the drum shuffle, the great Jerry Pentecost. Hey, good afternoon, Jerry. How's it going, man? Doing well, and yourself? Man, I cannot complain a bit. Hey, thanks so much for taking some time to come on the Drum Shuffle. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Jamie. Thanks for having me. I'm, I've, I've been stoked about it since you asked, so. Oh, no. Well, I, you're going to make me blush. Stop. <laughs> So, um, Jerry, you know, we met, gosh, it's probably going close to two years ago. We met at, uh, I think it was 2016, it was 20, it, it was either 2016 or 2017. So yeah, it was, it was at least around two years ago. Yeah. I mean, it's been, it's been a hot minute, but, um, I yeah. caught you playing with Amanda Shires, of course, uh, here in Lexington, you know, kind of where we're based and, uh, yeah. struck up a great conversation after the show and, since that time, you know, you have kind of been everywhere. You are a busy, busy man, man. Congratulations. I tell people, I try to be like a virus in the best possible way. I don't know if there is a <laughs> possible way to be a virus, but, but you know, like, I, I want to be, I have like a severe case of FOMO. So like, I want to, you know, like be everywhere as much as I possibly can. But, you know, in this industry, you create a lot of friends and, you know, like, even if you can't play for them, you know, like I, I try to put these nights together where like I can, you know, like where we can, writers get to write together all the time. Guitar players get to, you know, play together, but like drummers is a little different, you know? So, yeah. um, yeah, so um, yeah, like I said, I just try to be, be anywhere and everywhere, you know, as much as possible. Well, you've got a lot of cool stuff going on that we'll certainly get into over the course of this interview, you know, but, um, as tradition kind of dictates on the drum shuffle, I always like to let our listeners know, you know, kind of where you grew up and how you got into drumming to, to begin with. So why don't you kind of start us at the beginning and, and tell us, you know, about your childhood and how you became a drummer to, to, to begin with. Um, so I was born and raised in Nashville. Um, I graduated high school from, um, from beach high school, which is in Hendersonville, which is like a suburb of Nashville. But, um, I've lived in Nashville or the surrounding area my entire life. Like at this point, it's, um, you know, a little more on the Nashville side than the Hendersonville side. I did some middle and, um, and high school there. And then as soon as I graduated high school, like I knew at that point that like I, music was what I wanted to do. It was mostly like convincing my dad, who was a uh, pretty stone core on wanting me to graduate college. And uh, at that point in time, I had not had a job for longer than six months. So I'm 17 and I've quit every single job that I've had. Um, so, you know, so I was like, hey, I'm going to enter. I'm going to leave school after a year and I'm going to enter the workforce. And he just laughed in my face for about five minutes. <laughs> so, uh, and he, you know, he, it, 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 it with him saying, you're not quitting school. And so I was like, cool, well, I'm paying for it. So, uh, <laughs> so that was the decision that I made. 
but um but yeah you know like I, I i was born in baptist hospital and so like most people just kind of believe you know and i I've, I've grown to believe too that i think i was just supposed to be in nashville you know like you can't really control any of those things you know so uh i think i was supposed to be here i love being a part of the scene i love the music here I spend a lot of time downtown now, uh, more on the DJ side of things, but, uh, I'm playing down there once or couple, once, once or twice a month. And, uh, and yeah, you know, like it never gets old. I mean, like the, the Britneys get old where the girls are like stumbling and vomiting in the middle of the street that gets a little old, but you know, like the other stuff uh, yeah. never gets old. Like I love that you can go anywhere at any time of the day and you can always hear some live music somewhere. So, so I, I've grown to really, really appreciate that. Yeah. It's but a I got my great city. Dr- Sorry, what's that? I, I just said it's such a great musical city. I mean, you can always yeah. find live music. Yeah, you know, like, and, and there's, you know, like, there's, uh, if you know the right spots to go, you, you can find more than just new country or just classic country or, you know, like, whatever you're looking for. So, um, so you know, like, I, I appreciate the, the diversity, you know, which I think has, like, had a huge effect on me and my playing um, just because like, you kind of have to be prepared for everything. You might show up to gig and think that you're just going to be playing train beats all night, but then they might want to play, you know, like reeling in the years by Steely Dan or, you know, like signs still delivered by Stevie wonder. Like you just never really know. So, uh, so this city has really, really, you know, like sometimes it's like being a wedding DJ. And then sometimes people are like, you know what, like let's play that Vern Gothen, you know, like deep cut jam. And I'm like, Oh, geez. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, but there's only so many beats as a drummer you can play. So, uh, so it kind of works out in your advantage a lot of times where most people are shouting chords and keys at each other. And I'm just like, cool, that changes nothing for me. Right. uh, I'm like, what key is in it? Don't care. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, But I, I got my first drum set when I was 15. So I was a late bloomer. I tried to do marching band, but um, I'm an undercover jock. Um, I, if there's any sport, like I wanted to excel in it. And so when I was coming up, it was uh, I did fifth grade in Hendersonville too, like going into junior high. And they were, you know, like that was kind of like the start of the marching band. And it was either band or PE. Like you, you couldn't do both. You had to pick one or the other. And I was like, well, I like hitting people in the face with dodgeball, so I think I'm going <laughs> to go with PE. <laughs> Uh, so I did PE and like, I, I probably took PE more than anybody could ever take PE in high school. I took it four times and, uh, <laughs> and just twice in my senior year. So I think I took it like five times, but yeah, they were like, you, you know, you know, you won't get a credit for that second time. I was like, don't care. Like I got an empty space there and I want to take PE again. So, um, <laughs> And yeah, you know, kickball, volleyball, soccer, softball, like baseball, you know, like whatever it was, basketball, like I was, you know, always one of the first person to be picked or first ones to be picked. And, uh, and that was just kind of my thing, but I, I got my drum set my sophomore year and, um, I come from a family of basketball players. And so when they saw me and, you know, and like they knew of my name, they were like, okay, so this kid's basically going to be like our Michael Jordan. And I was a disappointment to them because I just wasn't as athletically, um, efficient as my brothers were. And, uh, and then I hit my growth spurt and they were like, okay, now we need this kid. And I hit my growth spurt the year I got my drum set. And I was like, nah, man, I'm, I'm in a band called the cool kids now. Like I don't have time for sports. So, uh, which was an awful first band, but you know, but it was with my best friends and, and it was cool something to do in the, doing the garage. But, 
but yeah, so I, my brother bought me my, my next, I have four brothers and, um, the one that's the next oldest, I, he brought, he bought me my first drum set. Uh, so I turned 15 in October and I got it that Christmas. It was like a joint birthday slash Christmas present. And, uh, and I bought it from a, he bought it from a local drummer in town. It was a Thomas wing star. It was an awful, awful drum set, but I loved it so much. Somebody stole it later on, but, um, but man, like I, you know, I played on that thing and it was so awful for so many years. Like I just, you know, I, I, I never felt like I was going to get it together, but I never wanted to quit either. You know, like it was just, it was a, an amazing challenge. So yeah, so I did that for a little bit, uh, played in local bands, you know, started touring when I was 17. So I'm 15 then I graduated 17 was already, you know, like kind of doing like weekends in um, Memphis and Knoxville and Chattanooga, you know, like just kind of like the regional stuff. And, uh, and that's kind of it. Like I, I've pretty much been on the road. Like I started, we started playing bars at 18 and 19. So like I was, you know, getting paid booze and, and, um, in return for gigs that were making no money, you know, like at 19 <laughs> and 20. So by the time I hit 21, I had no interest in drinking anymore because I decided that it wasn't acceptable to always get paid in booze because that gets you nowhere real fast. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah. So, um, so that's kind of like the, the foundation. I didn't really have, uh, um, didn't really have any uh, training or anything like that. I've, I've still, to this point, only taken two drum lessons, and one of them was from Marcus Finney, who's a great, great, great drummer. Oh, yeah. Um, and the other one was from, uh, man, I just blanked on his name, and I cannot believe that I did that. Uh, Zappa, Phil Collins, who's, who's a Nashville guy. How oh, Ch I, Chester uh, Thompson. Chester Thompson, yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't know how I blinked on that name, but yeah, like I had, I had my first lesson was from Chester, and then the second, and these were like lessons within like the last four years. So oh, wow, know, like okay. I, I've been playing now um, for eighteen or nineteen years. I'm thirty four. Yeah, well, I so I mean, I think what's cool about all that, you know, is is uh, in your story is that you made the one eighty you know, from sports to drums and yeah, you know, I mean, I still like to hit people in the face with dodgeballs. Well, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, who, do, who doesn't really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, who, who doesn't like to hit somebody upside the head with a dodgeball, but you know, my story is very similar in that, you know, I was, you know, a, a pretty slow, you know, uh, dude that tried to play safety, you know, on the high school football team and was like, yeah, this is going nowhere. And, you know, I was just starting to get into drumming. Same kind of thing. It was like, I can do this my whole life. I might have three more years of playing organized sports, right? Yeah. Like I, I, I shoot basketball with a few guys, uh, Margot Price's husband, Jeremy Ivy, uh, Zach Schmidt, like a great singer songwriter, um, you know, like a bunch of, of us, you know, like shoot basketball and like, I just jammed my thumb like two weeks ago. So I'm like, every time I get out there, I'm like, golly, I'm, it's, it's a liability. You know, like I played a gig on Friday and I, I couldn't get any like super fast and tip stuff. I couldn't really do it because I didn't have, you know, like the strength that I needed in my thumb. So like, I kind of worry about that stuff more and more and more. But I remember as I was younger, like I did play football for a little bit and I, I was always, you know, like I've always kind of, I'm, I'm six, three and a half. And I'm about 150 pounds. So uh, I'm a size 27 waist. 
I, my, my body was not meant to play football. And like, I think that was mostly when I told my dad, like, okay, so I'm quitting football and I'm going to go to school. He was like kind of sad about that, but I was like, man, you got to understand, like, look at me, like I'm getting slaughtered out there. You know, like, <laughs> like I'm not doing you any favors. Would you rather me just be out there and be awful or, you know, like be like take another. So, so he understood, but like when I, when I said I wasn't going to school, so uh, what I ended up doing was uh, paying for my little brother's room and board. He got a basketball scholarship and, uh, and I paid for, you know, like some of his tuition and stuff like that for him to go to school. And he got his degree and I was like, so it's cool. It's kind of, kind of like mine too, because I paid for it. So. <laughs> there you yeah, that's, so that's one, yeah, that's one way of looking at it for sure. That's awesome, man. Well, so, I, you know, you said that you were out kind of on the road at a very young age, kind of doing the, the bar thing, um, yeah. you know, I, and I alluded to it earlier that you're kind of everywhere in Americana now. Did you immediately kind of start into that type of music? And, and with you being, you know, 34, most of your adult life, there has been Americana music. I mean, I'm a little bit older yeah. than you, and I remember when you know, Americana was just country or, or yeah. non-classifiable country, right? Exactly. Like, it, it, at this point, like, anything could almost be Americana. And it, and it is a very wide variety genre. Uh, you know, uh, like I said, it's a completely embracing. And, you know, like, the first year I played in the house band for the AMA Awards, uh, Van Morrison was, like, the Lifetime Achievement. And, and I got to play on a tune with him and I was like, man, like I never really thought about him as Americana, but like when you listen to the records, you're like, yeah, I can see how that could be, how, how that is Americana, yeah. you know, like, cause it's got the roots and inspiration behind it. And, uh, and you know, like some of the, the patterns are very similar to, you know, like what people today would consider it. Um, so like for me, like, I, I mean, I'm just going to be like brutally honest. Um, uh, I hated country music coming up. I grew up in a typical black low income house. And, you know, like it, it was almost Al Green, Marvin Gaye, and I was running in my house. <laughs> right on. So, like, I didn't know anything. I think I was about 14, 13 or 14 in the MTV era when um, I heard Weezer's Buddy Holly. And I was like, what is this? Yeah. And my brother, I remember one of my brothers specifically being like, that's white people music. You don't need to listen <laughs> to that. And I was like, what does that even mean? You know, so when he, walked, when he turned it off and walked out of the room, I turned it back on. And I was like, <laughs> you know, like the, that hook is so catchy. Ooh, ooh, and a, no, 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 you know, yeah. and I was like, wow. So, you know, like I went to school and I couldn't wait to tell my friends about it. And they're like, you don't know about Weezer? Like, that's old, dude, you know? So, uh, you know, so like I had a lot of catching up to do. And uh, this band that I toured with early on, like I was a rocker when I was younger. I played in this prog rock band called Oliver's Army, which was named after Elvis Costello tune that would later become me and the guitar player were the only the guitar player singer. We we're the only ones that made it out of that band that had been a band for like 10 years, like six or seven years before I even joined. We, like the other two guys quit and we said we should change our name. So we turned into this band called Sound and Shape and kind of kept the same format and, uh, and got to, you know, a new bass player and a new rhythm guitar player. And, uh, and yeah, like we were, you know, like more on the lines of, uh, King Crimson, Mars Volta, you know, stuff like that, Pink Floyd, like everything like psychedelic and, and, you know, kind of experimental. And, uh, and I did that until I was about 24, I think. Okay. So, um, and then I threw countless, countless law. And then in that band, 
I was uh, I, I was probably in that band for maybe so I did all of that for about ten years and I was maybe in that or no I didn't do that for ten years I did it for about six years so that's from like seventeen until what is that twenty three twenty four so 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 six six or seven years in that time I played with them for about three months before I was like I'm I'm a very my room is a mess but I'm super organized and um, and you know like everything else and I'm I'm a very detailed person because as a drummer, you get paid for details. I tell my girlfriend that all the time. She hates it. Um, but, uh, you know, like I get paid to observe details and, you know, like little things, you know, like that's what you pick up on because that's what can change a good group to a great group is the little things. And so, um, you know, so like after playing with them for three months, I was like, this is a mess. I was like, no, I'm booking all the shows from now on, you know, like I'm handling all the advertising. So, we would do 260 shows a year, and they were all self-booked. For, for six years, I did this. All self-booked, all self-promoted, uh, all self-advertised, like everything. Management, I did everything. I'm a, literally, and like not trying to be cocky, cocky I'm a walking course in master's business, or in wow. music business. So, I mean, that's uh, a like huge, huge undertaking, man, for that long. Yeah. I did that for six years and like, and you know, so like I, I could tell you every club and, you know, like on each side of the Mississippi, you know, like anywhere from like the small 200 cap room all the way up to the 1100 cap room. I could tell you which news writer to, you know, to write to, to get your, you know, your show in the free weekly. Uh, you know, I could tell you the radio station for six years. Like I had a little book that I kept, I don't even know where it is anymore, but I kept that with me. Like, it was, you know, if there was one thing I was going to go to sleep with every single night, it was that book. Like I went to sleep looking at it. I woke up and it was the first thing I looked in every day, like constantly trying to get this band to succeed. And I hit a point where, like I said, uh, where I started um, numerous, numerous amounts of arguments and just, you know, like my relationship falling apart with my then girlfriend and never, you know, like I think at that point we had made enough to pay our cell phone bills. We were making enough to pay three seventy dollars cell phone bills. Um, you know, like that's it. And everything was going to the band fund, but like I was immediately getting behind on rent and, you know, like couldn't, couldn't have any stability. I also, this is my favorite part. I was working at O'Charlie's at this point in time. And if there's anything that's taught me appreciation for anything in life, it's that job. People were so awful to me in that job. I worked there for four <laughs> of the years while I was touring. And like, you literally are a slave at that job, you know, and then people will leave you 50 cents and be like, you are so good and leave you a dollar. Yeah. And I'm like, cool. Like good thing. I don't have a family to feed, you know, but I understand people got to do what they got to do. So I'll like, you know, people ask me all the time, why do you work so hard? And I'm like, cause I don't want to go back to that. Yeah. Well, it, I, you know, I, it, just, it, I have it, to keep that in mind. Yeah. I mean, it goes without saying, and you know, I have said on this program before, I will say it anywhere. People will listen to me. If you got enough money to go pay $20 for a meal at O'Charlie's, you got enough money to leave a $5 tip on your $20 yeah. bill. I mean, you just got to exactly. do it. I affirm, you know, like I, I, there are two rules that I abide by because I love to eat, but you know, like the number one rule is always treat people the way you want to be treated. And number two, if you can afford to go out to eat, you can afford to, you can afford to tip. Yeah. So, uh, you know, like and those rules are basically the same thing. You know, like I try to be, uh, more than, you know, like just decent. I try to be super considerate of others because I always want people to treat me the way that I want to be treated. And I try to treat myself 
at least more than better than decent, you know. So like I feel like everybody else deserves that. So so I'm slaving away. I'm doing doubles every, you know, like I come home from a tour. We'd be gone for two months, and I'd come home and I'd work doubles every single day for a month straight. No no days off. Thirty days straight, working from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. And I would make sixty dollars in a shift most days, like all day, uh, and come home with sixty dollars in tips. Wow. So it was, it was really, you know, like it was really depressing. But um, but I, I felt like that's just, you know, like I. Uh, Every every documentary, rock documentary you've ever watched is always what the, the band's on tour. You know, like that's what we thought we were supposed to do. We thought we were supposed to be on tour. So I couldn't. I just couldn't do it anymore. Uh, I got tired of sleeping on floors. Um, I got tired of sleeping in like weird houses with like weird people. You know, because we couldn't always afford hotels. Like actually, we can never afford hotels. <laughs> right. Uh, and you know. You're constantly putting yourself like one time we were out west and like we couldn't find anywhere to stay. So like we parked our van at a rest stop and slept with the doors wide open because it was so hot outside. Oh, my God. Um, You know, like there are so many things that I think I had to like hitch a ride with these two Chinese truckers one time. And (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, and, uh, what is an Albuquerque because our van ran out of it. It decided that it was going to run out of gas, but it actually wasn't out of gas. It ended up being our fuel pump. But, like, I, I, I put myself in so many weird situations that, like, I just finally was like, you know, it's not like I'm, like, better than anybody else. And I'm like, I'm not going to tour anymore unless I can play with Sade or, you know, like anything. Like, I just, I was like, I, I need to make a drastic change, and I got to figure this out. And the only way for me to do that is to leave this band and come off the road. So, of course, it was like a breakup. And, um, and, you know, like they were, he, he was the, the other guy that I started the band who's a little bitter about it at first, but, um, but, you know, like we're still friends and we, we keep in touch. It just, you know, like it, it sucks when you have to explain to somebody that like the, the path that y'all are on together, um, isn't the path that's best for you because, you know, like that's how you, that's why you started the path in the beginning. It's like bringing up with a girlfriend, you know, it's like this just isn't working. And they're like, why? And I'm like, I don't really have the answer for it right now, but <laughs> yeah, right. Well, but, I mean, that's but I the. Know it's not working. Yeah, but I mean, that's kind of the famous story, you know. People that are it's non. You, it's me, not you. Yeah, right. That's but but you know, I mean, it it's it's true. People that aren't yeah. musicians and aren't in bands. They'll say, what's it like being in a band? And I'm like, it's like being married to three or four other dudes, you know, for the most part. Yeah, you're literally, so my my current girlfriend now, it's funny because um, I, uh, she's, you know, like, well, A, people are like, what's it like being on tour? Like, I get a text message. They're like, what's it like being on tour? And I send them a picture that somebody took of me falling asleep on the bus or falling asleep in the green room. I'm like, you get sleep whenever you can wherever you can, like most days, like I don't ever lay down and like, I'm going to take a nap. Like I literally fall asleep making a set list or fall asleep, you know, like trying to listen or chart a track or something like that. Like that's how I get, you know, like that's how my body tells me I need more hours in a day. But like, you're, you know, like for me, my job, you're on, you're working 24 seven, you know, like you're getting in as much when we were out with Amanda, uh, over the last, especially over this last year when we started touring on a bus, I would get in my bunk and I would close my curtain and I would sit up and I would listen to her songs. And I, as we played through the set, I would make notes 
on my set list as the, uh, you know, like what, what we needed to work on the next day and, and, uh, sound check. And, you know, like if somebody missed something or whatnot, or like if, if something just felt weird, anything that I felt like needed to be addressed, there were very seldom days where I didn't have to make a note on the set list about something, you know, just because it was all about like trying to create this perfect show, like trying to make this show the absolute best that it could be, you know, like, I mean, there, I'm not saying that like everything was always awful or anything like that. I'm just saying that there was always something that, and like a lot of times there were things for me, like, okay, like there was too much downtime in between these two songs. We have to fix that, you know, like, uh, you know, like maybe the story she told was a little bit too long, you know, so like maybe we add some, some music underneath, you know, like for that particular section, you know, like there was always something I was always trying to make the show the absolute best that it could be. So, you know, like I would sit in my bunk for, you know, an hour, two hours, just listening to the set and, you know, like coming up with these things. But, um, but yeah, you know, like it's, it's, it's nonstop, you know, like I, I, uh, there was a manager that I really, really was a fan for for a long time. He managed Billy Idol in the 80s, and he managed Kiss up until they did the Unmasked tour. And uh, he thought it was a terrible idea, and that's when they separated or they parted ways. But he was like, uh, he said something that stuck with me forever, and his name was Bill Coyne. He said, if you, if we stop talking right now, you turn on the radio, what do you hear? And I said, music. And he said, exactly. It never stops. It never stops. Yeah, but I was like, "Wow, it, right." Yeah, it literally never stops. So it's going to keep going with or without you. Yeah, well, so, and and you know, I mean, I think it, when you were in Amanda's band, you know, you were her MD, and yeah, you're being a consummate professional by doing that to always try to make the show tomorrow night a little bit better than the show tonight. And yeah. you know, because I don't want it to be, uh, you know, automated either. You know, like she says different stuff you know, like every single night that, you know, like sometimes she'd be in a really jokey mood and, you know, like she would, we would all go back, you know, like most of us had a mic on stage. So we would all go back for a long time. I was single. So like, it was, you know, like it was like auction season, you know, like trying to, so the single man of the band, you know, like, and all of a sudden like the spotlight was on me. Um, and then my girlfriend came to a show and, uh, and she didn't realize that I wasn't single anymore. It was like, I fairly knew it kind of happened within like a month of us touring. She was like, so this is what it's been like this whole time before. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, okay. <laughs> <So>. That's hilarious. <sighs> well, yeah. you know, speaking of Amanda, uh, you know, and I, I hate to jump around so much, but yep. you know, the record that she put out last year, um, which was called from the sunset, I think it came out in Through the sunset. Yeah, okay, gotcha. Uh, came out um, August, is that right? Uh, yeah, so it, August the 3rd, I believe, was the, the release date, and then we did August the 12th as like the, the release show at the Ryman as part of the Americana series. Gotcha. And uh, yeah, so we did that record with Dave Cobb, uh, I think it was two weeks in January of last year, so January 2018. And um, Dave Cobb produced and played bass on it. Jason Isbell played guitar, uh, played all the guitars on it. Uh, Peter Levin, who's in her band now, uh, was coming from, you know, like being on tour with the Greg Allman band and Blind Boys Alabama and stuff like that. R.I.P. to Greg Allman. Um, he, uh, he, he played keys on it, and then it was me on drums. And that was my first time working with, with Dave and uh and it was a very fast pace uh you know like I, I learned a lot just from that week that i was in the studio i was there every other day but you know like i was only actually supposed to be there for that week but i was mostly there just for you know like support 
if they needed an extra set of ears, like I ran and got, you know, like lunch one time, you know, like I, you know, she, she's, uh, she's like a sister to me. So any way I could help. And, you know, that's kind of what I was telling you before, you know, like I, I never really like jump into a gig just being like, all right, well, I'm just kind of here to work, you know, like you, like I jump in and I'm all in or I'm nothing, you know, like I don't really have, I have two, I'm like a light switch. I'm either on or off. I only have two modes of transportation. And I feel like, you, you owe it to people for that. You know, like I, I, I can't half-ass anything because like, it's just not in my DNA. Like I just can't yeah. do it. Yeah. Well, I, and you know, if you're in the studio, you, you know, the legendary RCA studio where Dave is kind of yeah. set up now and you're, yeah. you're working at the foot of the master. I mean, nothing that Dave Cobb touches is crap. Oh, he's had incredible, incredible run of the last couple years and you know and like has helped with some some amazing records and so like i he's somebody that you know like i text you know like from time and time just input on certain things but you know like he um you know like he's obviously well sought after and um and then there's reason for that so uh so I'm, I'm super proud of his success and jason's success and you know like everything else so like it, it's really it, it's really been cool to see all this from you know like a fly's view you know like kind of just hanging out in the room so and luckily you know like being able to be a part of this so when when she asked me i was like man i don't care you know i know we're we don't have anything again until april but like i don't care what i have to do to you know like make it work to be on this record um, I'm, I'm going to do it. So, yeah, for sure. Well, and you know, I mean, I think a lot of people think of, of Dave as like this great Americana producer, which of course he is, but man, you know, I've had, uh, you know, Michael Miley from rival sons on the show. He has done a bunch of records for them. And man, this most recent record that rival sons put out is maybe one of the best rock records of the last decade. So if you ever get a chance to talk to Dave, get him talking on some of the R&B stuff that he's done right before we got in there. He was producing a record with Ellie King and uh, and John J.R. Robinson had played drums on it. So the drum tune basically to Thriller, you know, like Michael Jackson's Thriller, like that record. Yeah, that's kind of how the drums were tuned. And he was like, don't touch anything. He was like, even if a drum goes out of tune, like just leave it the way that it is. Because he was like, I really, he was like, I enjoyed his playing on that record so much. And that's, that's the drum sound that you get onto the sunset. So, uh, we started calling, uh, Matt Rothbang started, uh, or I came up with it at Fleetwood Jackson because a lot of the grooves <laughs> that I was playing was in the middle between like Fleetwood Mac and, you know, like Michael Jackson, like that's all, like there was some four on the floor stuff that was just like really cool and fun to play. So, you know, we were like, yeah, you need Fleetwood Jackson on the mix. Well, uh, I really hope you trademark that before you just let that loose in the world, because there's going to be a band tomorrow called Fleetwood Jackson. Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. Well, it's such a good record. And and it was a little bit of a departure for Amanda, in my opinion. You know, I mean, I'm not some music critic, but it was a lot more poppy, I think. It was Uh, a different direction. Yeah, but it it was so good. I mean, first of all, yeah. it, Amanda could sing the phone book, and I would sit there and listen. You know, yeah. Um, she's got a voice that that commands. Yes, know? and like I, and it's it's very it's subtle, but it's powerful. And you know, like that's what drew me to her. Like I saw her uh, during uh, Americana Fest a few years before we actually you know played together for the first time. 
And like we played together before I was actually in her band. Um, I used to host a country night, which I'm actually bringing back as a benefit to the rescue mission, but that's a different thing. I'm not going to use this for shameless self-promotion, but, uh, but you know, like we, I saw her, I was on my way to another gig in this complex that houses three venues, Cannery, Mercy Lounge and High Watt. And she was playing Cannery and I believe Paul Griffin was playing drums with her. And, uh, and I remember just like seeing her and being like, man, her voice is like so great. Uh, I was like, well, okay, on to the next gig, you know, like I just had to take note, like, okay, that's Amanda Shires. She can sing and she plays the fiddle. Okay. You know, like that's kind of how it is in Nashville. Like, cause you can't like possibly keep up with everything. You have to just kind of make mental notes, but I've known Jason for forever. And like, I think just through constant texting him, like, Hey, just wanted to let you know if a man ever needs somebody, you know, like I'm around, you know, yeah. so, and yeah. I think it just kind of, you know, like it, it, the cre- the opportunity was created where she did finally need somebody. She reached out. I was booked up and oh. I told myself that I, and it was right before she had mercy. And I told myself if I, if she ever came knocking again, I would do whatever it takes. So she had mercy. And then three months later, she hit me up about putting a band together and band leading it. And, um, and, you know, and she was like, is that something you're interested in? Are you still, you know, like booked or like, what are you doing? And at that time I I had kind of taken a little break. I I had no interest in playing drums. I the previous artists that I was playing for had kind of burned me a little bit. And, you know, I was in this, like, nobody cares. And like, I can't get the, you know, like I can't get the proper respect that I deserve from any artist that I play with. And what her, her biggest appeal is that she was a side person. So, you know, like, so she gets a lot of that stuff. Uh, but, you know, like she's balancing the life of being an artist, being a mom, being a side person, you know, lead player, rhythm player, you know, like there's a lot of hats that she's wearing. So uh, I, my brain immediately went back to remember what you said. If she ever came knocking, you would figure it out. And so like at that point I was just DJing. So I had to sub nine DJ gigs to do the first weekend with her. Um Wow. And I, you know, like that's, that's, that's a tremendous financial hit, but you know, like for me, DJing has become like my daytime job where like, instead of doing a nine to five, which I extremely love it and it's very flexible, but instead of doing a nine to five, you know, like I would rather just go DJ at a club from noon to four. Yeah. So, um, and you know, and then like play drums at night or, you know, like rehearse or hang out with my dog, whatever. Um, but yeah, you know, so like I, uh, DJing's not going to get me a Grammy not going to get me on any award show or anything like that, you know, like that, you know, like it's literally something I like to do for fun and I, and I, and I, I'm lucky enough to get paid to do it, but drumming has always been, you know, like where my heart is. So, uh, so yeah, so like getting back to that record, um, uh, you know, like it, it, I think that basically what she told me is she was like, like a bird, that song, she said, that's the direction that I always wanted to go. Like the reference was kind of like, uh, you know, like we want to take this more on a, um, uh, Janis Joplin kind of like real rock band kind of vibe. You know, she was like, I, I don't want to do, but the song, the song structures that she wrote, which I mean, I guess you could say that about, you know, like Pearl, the Janis Joplin record, um, were more pop songs. So, uh, you know, so like it, it really didn't, you know, so like you do kind of get that rock edge vibe from like the live band performance of it, but like at the basis of it, they were pop songs. So that's how we ended up creating this like kind of edgy pop record. Yeah. Well, so, it, I mean, it's just a, a fantastic record. And, you know, I mean, if you, if you don't have it in your collection, 
you need to have that record in your collection because it is really, really good. Yeah. Once again, no, no shameless self-promotion. I was, you know, like I was very happy with, um, you know, like what, what Dave and, um, Matt and uh, and Amanda, like what they were able to hear, you know, like based on what I was playing and, you know, like it, it became very clear of, you know, like whose role was what and what, you know, like, and I, I would sit down and my role was like, okay, I need to get the tempo and, you know, like, and I need to have the drum reference ready because he would be like, let, you know, like, do you remember this groove on like that song? Like, that was really cool. Like, do you think we can work something like that into this track? And so I would just be off to the side. I would write the structure of the song and come up with the BPM and then like, and then go to my station and be ready to play, you know, like, and this was all after hearing the song one time. Right on. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of how Jason's band works too. You know, Jason takes them into the studio and is like, here's a song I wrote, you know, that's the Dave Cobb format, right? You know, like there's no like pre-production or anything like that, at least not with the band, you know, like, because his guys are, you know, like they're in the studio 24 seven. They're not like, all right, so can we do this pre-production rehearsal? So everybody knows the song when we go in and we can nail it in one take. It's like, sometimes that's just how you get the best ideas. So, um, you know, and like sometimes some of the songs we did, you know, like we started off recording it one way and then we changed it to another way. So like every situation is a little different. Like I, I, you know, like, I mean, obviously all of Dave's secrets are in his head, you know, uh, I don't want to give too much away, but I, like, like I said, there, there were days too, where I thought I was going to get sent home and get replaced, you know, like there, cause there were some (laughs) things that were just a little outside of my scope that like I really, really had to dig deep down. And like my favorite thing with Dave was that he would, every take, he would tell me, don't choke up on the snare drum. Cause I was hitting, you know, like I said, I'm always going to be a rocker. I was hitting the snare drum too hard, <clears throat> which I've now since then, like kind of worked on my technique where I don't have to hit the rim every single time that I, you know, like some drummers are just, just bagby drummers. And like, that's just what feels good to them. And, uh, and it was actually Chester that said that he was like, man, you're going to have to turn that snare. Like you're gonna have to lean that thing in because you're going to blow me away hitting that rim every single time. So, um, so, you know, like, so after having that lesson with him and then immediately have, you know, like recording on this session, I like halfway through the session, I was like, I'd go home and I'd be like, okay, tomorrow's the day where he doesn't have to tell me. Right. Don't choke up on that. And on the very last day of the session, like it worked, I made it through. And I told him, I was like, that was my goal. After you told me four days straight, I was like, all right, now, like, okay, don't choke up on the snare drum. And so, and he was like, I'm proud of you. You learned something, you know? So, um, so I think there's valuable information in, in almost every single situation, you know, musically that you're in. So I was just, it was a blessing and, you know, like it was an honor and a privilege to be a part of that session. And, you know, like Rolling Stone had great things to say about it. And, you know, and like every, uh, like, that's kind of how, you know, like I, it's kind of like being on TV, you know, like you almost want to be like, mom, we made it, you know, like when Rolling Stone is like, <laughs> that was a good record. Like then you, you, that's, you know, like that's justification, you know, like that's the, that's the uh, approval that you need it to be like, okay, it was a great record because to me, there's no filler on it. It's all great songs. Uh, the energy's great. Um, the production's great. So like I said, it was just an honor and a privilege to be a part of it. Yeah, well, a couple of things that you mentioned in there about the recording process, which, you know, that I want to mention, um, you know, when I got to see you live, you know, here in central Kentucky and, 
you know, unfortunately, I don't get to go to a lot of shows because I stay busy myself, you know. Um, But that was one of those special occasions. And, you know, I I got there early enough that I got a good angle, you know, where I was up close. Uh, You know, it was kind of a smaller venue, standing room only kind of thing. And it was packed. Yeah. But I was close enough to the stage to kind of understand the, the dynamic on stage and yeah. the stage volume was so yeah. quiet. It was it was amazing yeah. to me. And you had a lot of tricks in your arsenal, you know, like the, you know, the bandana on the Tom heads, yeah. you know, things like that. It was just it was very sonically pleasing to see you play live in that kind of semi acoustic setting. Well, let me just say that it's not normally like that. Most nights it's pretty pure chaos, but um, that night I just, maybe I ate my Wheaties that day. I'm not 100% sure, <laughs> but uh, I, uh, you know, and I, and I said this too, uh, we were kind of talking about it in that Modern Drummer article um, that like dynamics was something that I, I preach, you know, like relentlessly with uh, her band that like we needed to go up together and we need to come down together. You know, like there's no like, I'm going to go up, you stay down. You know, like we, like the only way that it works, it's like a chain. Every link has to work together to make this chain work. So, um, you know, so like I, her voice, like I said, is very, it's powerful, but it's delicate. So um, in the very beginning, because like the guitar player is more of a rocker, you know, like I was more of a rocker, but I, I have a lot of experience with playing country music with brushes. The gig that I come from was 90% brushes before, um, you know, like I, so it was all about like trying to treat and create this band based around her vocals, you know, like that. So, uh, you know, like her, it, it, it was kind of like the dictator of everything. So, you know, like that, I think that's when I did my most listening was obviously in the very beginning and, um, her, you know, like it, it grew, and and I think by that time that we saw you, like we, you know, like that band had been playing for a year. I'm pretty sure it was 2017. Now that band had been playing for a year and a half at that point. So like we were, you know, like we had just, I think we were about to record Austin City Limits. Like we we had like a really good, strong like vibe together, and um, and it was great. You know, like I enjoyed it so much and you know like it obviously when we made this new record and then we picked up another guitar player got a different bass player got a keyboard player you know like dynamic it you know like it probably took about six uh about five to six months to get that band like kind of feeling good before you know like i was like okay you know like now we can just work on like the little stuff but you know for a long time you're just covering parts and whatnot but yeah so i was able to move remove the bandanas you know like we got a little bit louder um you know, like certain things kind of changed a little bit, but my damn dynamic with her was always like, cause, uh, you know, like her fiddle is, you know, like probably the most attractive thing that's happening on stage. The things that she can do with the fiddle is, you know, like it's pretty phenomenal. Um, and you know, like the fact of, you know, like the lyrical presence and, you know, her voice and everything like that. But, um, but, you know, like a lot of the parts and everything, like it's kind of dictated by what's happening from the drums. So like I'm watching her, I did I did about two weeks touring with Wanda Jackson, the the, oh. the rockabilly icon Wanda yes. Jackson. Awesome. I was the band lead for that for that gig too. And um and the way I got that is we were I was out on tour with this guy Johnny Fritz, who used to go by Johnny Corndog and uh and so we were the opening support and they reached out and asked if we would like to, you know, like be the band and Johnny was like, Do you wanna like help me like 
lead this band? And I was like, sure. And then we kind of got into it. He was like, you should just do it. And I was like, okay. So, you know, so like I was in charge of like kind of getting everybody's parts together and just listening to the show, making sure that everything was flowing the way it was supposed to be flowing. And, um, and you know, like she pulled me aside and she said, there are three things you need to know. I'm going to be giving you signals and they're like baseball signals and I'm going to throw them up behind my back. She said, if I give you a thumbs up, that means the song is too slow. If I give you a thumbs down, and this is like in her like old, like sweet lady voice. If I give you a thumbs down, then that means the song is too slow, you know? And she was like, and if I throw up a fifth, that means go to the outro because I'm not going to make it. Cause she's like, you know, like 80 years old. Right. So, uh, so like, that's the closest to playing with somebody like James Brown that I've ever experienced in my life. Because like, if I wasn't watching her tush the whole time for looking for those signs, like, you know, like she could cut to the outro and I not even be paying attention. So, uh, so that really helped me with like Amanda because like she and her body language, she gives these signals and like, you know, like I, I got to the point to where they were like second nature. And, you know, like we went up together, like I said, preaching dynamics, we went up together and we always went down together and we were always listening together. So, uh, or listening to each other. Well, I mean, it it was just such a great show, you know, that I caught and the band was, you know, firing on all cylinders. It was fantastic. Yeah, I remember that show. It was, it was great. That and the Burl was fairly new at that point too, I feel like. So it was was an exciting show to, to be in that room too. I think everybody was pretty excited about it. So. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a great show and, and I just felt so, you know, blessed and honored to get to meet all of you guys afterwards. And, and, you know, this is so cool for me to get to have you on the show now that, you know, now that the show is a thing, you know what I mean? So it's, it's kind of cool. Um, one of the other things that I really want to touch on, you know, I am flipping through the channels, um, I don't know, two or three months ago and the Americana honors were on. And I was like, oh, cool. You know, I'm going to have to watch this. Right. I, I, of course, I'm a member of the Americana Music Association, but I never go down for the crowd crush. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I flipped on the, the telecast and I was like, oh, my God, Jerry is the house drummer for this thing. This is fantastic. Um, but you've got Don was playing, <laughs> playing bass next yeah. to you. I mean, tell me a little bit about that gig, because that was pretty amazing. If so, you know, like I, so what's, what's funny and and I, I said something, um, I have a buddy that writes for Rolling Stone, uh, that I like had made friends through, you know, like through playing with Amanda and, uh, and he wasn't the one that like wrote the article or anything like that. But like, I just, you know, like we've kind of kept in touch every time he comes to Nashville, you know, like, um, you know, like I have like a respect kind of thing. Like if I feel like it's something worth his time to like check out or listen, you know, like I send it, but for the most part, I try to keep like a professional relationship with him and, you know, not kind of exploit, you know, like our acquaintance friendship kind of deal. But, um, I, so I was out playing a show with Amanda in 2017. Yes. Uh, early 2017. Like, um, I think it was June It might've been May not really sure. Um, but it was in New York and it was put on by Americana Fest and it was like a series that they were doing out there. And I met Jed Healy that time for the first time. And he came up to me and he said, I've wanted to meet you for a really long time. And I said, really? 
you know, like, because for me, you're, you're just putting these performances, I'm giving it my all, you know, like hoping that I can connect with somebody on some way or another. Like, I know I can't go up personally and be like, did I connect with you? Did we have a thing, you know, like, <laughs> not on, you know, like on Craigslist, like you were in the owl looking at watermelons and I was looking for the perfect bag of spinach, you know, like, it's just more or less like you, you give your all and you just really, really hope that, you know, like what you put out, like other people got that energy and they loved it or, you know, they didn't like it, like whatever, you know, like you, you put it out there, you gave it what you could and that's all that matters. And you leave it out there on the stage and you try to do that every single time. And so, um, he gave me his card. We kept in touch and like, we're, you know, we're, so like a month later, we're playing Red Rocks for the first time, opening up for Jason, um, and, uh, what's, uh, Frank Turner. And, uh, and I get a call from Buddy Miller and he's like, Hey, uh, this is Buddy Miller. Like I do some stuff around, like he, he needed to explain to me on the voicemail, like who he was. I was like, are you kidding Buddy Miller? Like I know exactly who you are. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, like I called him back immediately. Like I couldn't hold it in. And he was like, man, you know, like I, um, I was sitting here and I was talking to, you know, Michelle and Jim and I, um, I was wondering if you would like to be the house drummer for the the Americana Honors and Awards ceremony this year. And like I like before he could even get it out of his mouth, I was like, Yes, don't care how much it pays, don't care how much work it is, like whatever, like I am there. What do you need? Give me me there tomorrow, like I'll fly from Denver. <laughs> I'll figure it out, you know. But uh No doubt. And so like that was and there were Chris Wood was in that band who is one of my favorite absolute like if they're if they're the top four, he's in that top four. He's probably in that top three of bass players that I've ever played with. And, uh, and it was just an amazing experience. Like I learned so much from buddy that first year. So, um, you know, like for me, um, I'm trying to remember what we, the last song that we played was, um, I think it was, was it Don Williams, uh, Tulsa time. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, think I think so. Yeah, Tulsa. maybe that was so like as the credits were wrapping, that's what we played. And as soon as I hit that last note and I do my after party at Roberts every year, as I was walking, carrying my gear from the rhyme and across the hall or across the, the alley and the Roberts, I'm sitting there thinking, how do I get in this band again next year? Like I'm already prepared for next year. Like what do I need to do? You know, like, did it go well? You know, like did people like it? You know, like, did I play well? Like it was so much, and it was such a long day that I didn't, you know, like I didn't have time to process anything. And then also I had to play for another four hours on a completely different set, a show that I'm hosting myself. So like, you know, like I had to get in that mode. Um, and, um, and I, I would later, you know, so it was a, it was a cold, you know, like other than staying like fairly busy, like doing stuff around time or around town, like it was, it was radio silence for, you know, until around April. So, you know, so that's September, I get a call from Jed in April and he's like, Hey, um, I need you to hold May 15th for me. And I'm like, okay. You know, like I, him and like, that's when I say, you know, like that family, you know, like if there's one relationship that I hold strongly, you know, like it's my relationship with him and Michelle or, you know, like just, I mean, the general, the Americana honors and awards, um, like crew and, you know, like Sarah and, um, and I'm trying to think of, um, I think those are really the, the mostly the ones that I've interacted with Sarah, Jed and Michelle. Uh, they're so, so great. And, um, you know, so like anytime they ask me to do anything, I'm like, there, no, it's not an option to me. Like I try to make it work. I don't care if I have seven gigs that day, I will make it work. And so, and then when I told him I would hold it, he was like, okay, great. Cause you've been nominated for instrumentalist of the year. 
And yeah. I was like, like that blue, I was going to Walmart to get toilet paper. And that just like <laughs> blew my mind. You know, I'm like, I got my dog on my chest. We're about to walk into Walmart. And I'm just like, man, like you're walking into Walmart, kind of a nobody. And like, you're coming out like as an instrumentalist of the year, like nominee. Like it's just like mind blowing to me. So I went to Taco Bell to celebrate. And, uh, <laughs> And then, uh, and then, yeah, you know, like, so we, we did the ceremony and I, as I was doing the ceremony, as I was getting ready, I was trying to figure out, um, you know, it was like, if there's one person that like this, this thing, I think Buddy Miller has won that award seven or eight different times. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I, I was like, if there's one person I can learn any and everything from it's him. So he was the first person I reached out to and I said, would you like to be a part of whatever I was like, I don't have, I have no idea what I'm going to do for this ceremony, but I was asked to put a band together and do something. And unfortunately he was out of town. And to me, that was an omen that I was like, you know what? Like I need to use my guys, the guys that I play with all the time, my top guys, you know, like whenever I get asked to do something, like they're the dudes that I call. And that's Adam Meister Hans on guitar, uh, Robbie Crowell, uh, Robbie Crowell on keys, um, Jared Manzo on bass. And still kind of fluctuates, but for the song that we decided to do, which was Two Mile Pike by Barefoot Jerry, I used Russ Hicks, who played on that recording. Sorry, phone's going off. Um, and so, um, and, uh, and like, yeah, for me, I was just like, okay, you know, like, this is, you know, like, this, this is the thing. This is, this is what we need to do. But when I reached out to Buddy, he was like, hey, um, by the way, he was like, thank you for, for, you know, like offering. I'm so glad, or I'm so sorry that I, I'm not available, but, but would you want to be in the house band again this year, by the way? And I was like, you know, like, I, once again, like a deep sigh of relief. I was like, yes, I get to do it again. You know, like, so yeah. the campaigning, like, worked and all the good vibes and the prayers and the thoughts, you know, so, uh, so yeah, so you know, like fast forward from May to September, where I'm just a nervous wreck because every day I've thought about, you know, the 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 voting ends at the end of May, so you have like ten days after the you know the nomination ceremony until like the voting ends, and then you just sit and wait until September. So was that May, June, July, August, September? Five months, five months of waiting, not knowing, and you know, it's like somebody out there knows, but like I didn't know. And I, and I thought I had a pretty good, uh, you know, like chance at it. And Molly Tuttle won this year and she totally deserved it. She had a great year, put out a great record. Um, but you know, so like I'm going up on stage and it was one, of, I think it was like either the first or the second award to be given out. And it was just like, you know, like I, I sweat probably more of that gig than I've ever sweat <laughs> on any other gig in my entire life. Just because every time we got off stage, I was like, almost like, uh, dry heaving in the corner, just like it's coming up, it's coming up, you know? Uh, so, um, so yeah, you know, like, but fast forward, I, it was funny. We show up for rehearsals. Rehearsal is always on Tuesday. The show's on Wednesday. And, uh, and I meet Don Waz for the first time. And I'm like, hey, uh, so, you know, like, I kind of tell everybody this, you know, like, if there's something you want to hear differently, if you want me to play something differently, or, you know, like, if you have any input whatever, whatsoever, like, I want to get it right, please don't hesitate to ask. And he was like, you kidding? You sound great. And I was like, that's all he ever really said to me the whole night. And I was like, okay, like if it's good enough for him, then it's got to be good enough for me. But yeah. he was so great to play with, so great to work with. And once again, you know, like, and he's in that top, top four caliber for sure. Um, so it's such a, such a fortunate, you know, like blessing in a situation to, to be in. So, um, well, it's well-deserved, Jerry. I mean, it, it really is. I mean, you, you, you're just doing such good work out there and, you know, I mean, 
And, you know, here we are getting close to the end of our time together and we haven't even touched on the fact that you're out on the road with with Brent Cobb right now, you know, doing shows with with Chris Stapleton. I mean, my God, man, it, the stage doesn't get much bigger than that, right? Yeah, he, he's come off of a phenomenal couple of years, too, man. And I'm just really excited that, you know, like that he saw something in Brent and Brent's music and, you know, and that Brent was gracious enough to to allow me to come into their, to their fold and, you know, and that, um, that I could be the guy for them. And, and I think it's going to be a great year. I know we're going to try to record a record. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we're going to do some more of these Chris Stapleton dates as direct support. And I, I'm looking forward to, you know, like hanging out. I've become, you know, like you were talking about, I call him bad Chad, uh, Chad Gamble, you know, like those, those, those guys have become like family to me. And, you know, like I try to talk to them as much as possible when we're on the road with them and spend a lot of time with them. And, you know, like it's, that's what you want, you know, like you want, um, a very family, like, um, you know, like situation when you're on the road, because like you are a family, Yeah. like it's that, that's where I was getting at earlier. And I think I like lost train of thought, but you know, like my girlfriend's like, I don't know how you can do it because, uh, I was like, yeah, basically like I have seven bands or seven roommates, seven, eight roommates. Uh, when I was on tour with Ron, Ron Pope, we had, 13 people on the bus. So every bunk was taken. 12 bunks. Oh my God. Had a left room off, you know? So, and I like the plank and, you know, like workout and stuff like that. So like when you've got 13 people on a bus and you're trying to like hold a plank for two and a half, three minutes at a time in the middle of the of bunk alley, you know, like you're bending and weaving so people can get over you, under you, by you, you know, like I would stay up until four or three mornings to wait until everybody else fell asleep to plank. So that way, you know, but I also like, I, I operate on about three and a half, four hours of sleep almost every single night. So, um, well, the hard thing about having 13 guys on, on a bus where you don't have a junk bunk, I mean, it's like, you almost have to have one bunk empty to put all your stuff in. I mean, that's backpacks and luggage and, you know, like that weird keyboard that doesn't need to come in, but you know, like (laughs) for some odd reason he didn't go on the bus. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, when there's no junk bunk, it's definitely, but he, he was, you know, like really, really helpful with the, a lot of artists like to use the back lounge, like with Amanda, because, um, there were only, I think there were nine of us total in the crew. So six of us in the band, including her and then, um, merch person and tour manager. So, so that's eight. Um, you know, so we had two, we had two junk bunks because, uh, there were two condo bunks and then, um, and then like, she kind of used the back lounge for her like area to get ready, you know, and stuff like that. So, uh, so, you know, like having those two junk bunks, like really made a big deal, but with Ron, because there were so many people like the back lounge was common, just like the front lounge. So, uh, so like any space you could find was like open, but like the deal that I made, because I was the tallest person in the band, I was like, yo, I cannot put my backpack in my bunk because like my legs, like I'm hanging out of the bunk. Like my legs just will not <laughs> fit in here. So, uh, you know, so like they, you know, like every, everybody's, you know, like kind of understanding of like the space and, you know, like, like I said, it's just a level of consideration and, you know, like making the best of it. But, you know, like she was like, so like I sleep in my underwear and, uh, I don't have pajamas like most people. I did wear sweatpants, you know, like any other time. Like, so I wasn't just always walking around in my underwear on the bus. Uh, you know, because ladies are present, you always want to be respectful. Um, but you know, like she was like, so like, say you got to pee in the middle of the night, like, do you get up and like get fully dressed? And I was like, no, you just go to the bathroom because nobody else is up. It's not like you're going <laughs> to walk out in the front lounge to go to the bathroom and like everybody's going to be partying at 6 30 AM, you know, like, <laughs> like, 
you know, like it's like one big slumber party. And, you know, if you're respectful, then that's the way to go. So, like I said, I always try to keep my things. That's, that's, I think that's, an, that's more of a strong rule that will keep you in a gig than anything else. It's just be considerate of everyone's space, you know, because, like, it's not just about you. It's about the team. And honestly, like, if there is any advice that I had overall, it's that, you know, like, it, if you keep thinking team first, because it doesn't matter how good you are. Like, I, some of the best players that I know work at Calhoun's downtown, you know, like, this. Like, it's more or less about, like, the the team vibe. And that's funny to me because the first thing that Amanda said when she asked me to put a band together in 2016 is she said, they don't necessarily have to be the best players. They just need to be able to hang. She was like, who who would you put in a van and be able to hang out with, you know, yeah. like, one day at a time? And that add up to a month at a time or two months at a time. Like, who can hang, you know, like, that's what I'm mostly interested in and no sandals. And I was like, cool. <laughs> so like they have to be able to hang and you don't want to see their feet. Great. I can do that. Well, I mean, it's so important. You know, the, the great Billy Ward, I, I heard him say once, he was like, you got to be able to give good bus. You know, it's not, yeah. <laughs> it's not about, your, yeah. it's not about your paradiddles. You got to be able yeah. to give good bus. At the end of the day, it really has so little to do with like playing. Like I was also thinking about, I've gotten more gigs, uh, you know, like sometimes they're not always the gigs that you want to get, but I've gotten gigs by just like, you know, like I worked the door at a bar um, for four years um, after, you know, like kind of after the old Charlie's or, well, I was like self-employed there for a little bit. I tried it and I didn't make it. So I had to get like a couple of real jobs here and there. But, um, but, you know, like I would be like hanging out late and they'd be like, you play drums, right? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, cool, you want to do a gig this week? And I'm like, sure. You know, like never heard the music, didn't know who the person was, you know, like they just came in, I carded them. I was practicing on my practice pad and in between the time of, you know, like people coming in and, and, you know, so like people kind of like take notice of those things. But, but it's funny, you know, like your vibe, and your energy, like, I don't want to get all like gypsy on it and, you know, like be like, yeah, or a man, but, um, but you know, like the, the energy that you put out, you know, like has so much more, to do with um, with your current state than anything else, you know. Like I can practice and practice and practice and 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 be so great because you know, like honestly, like I I think that I just kind of like lucked out. Like I haven't really been doing anything that's like phenomenally incredible or anything like that. Like I just happen to be a dude that likes to work, and I'm in the dark with all these other guys, and somehow like the flashlight just you know like was was uh, pointed in my direction. And, you know, so, like, I, I, I'm extremely thankful for, you know, like, the presence and whatnot. And for me, it's, you know, like I said, it's about the people. So I'm going to continue to keep striving and trying to create scenarios and, and, and put out quality entertainment, you know, like what I would want, you know, like what's suitable for me. And, like, I say, I think about that when I'm setting, like, a price for a show or anything like that. I'm like, would I pay $10 for that? And if I wouldn't, then I'd lower it, you know? Yeah. I pay $5 for that? If, if not, then it's free, you know? So like, I honestly want to, you know, Nashville's one of those places. Uh, I remember going out and, uh, and I was just going to put up some posters one night and, uh, and Chris Scruggs was playing and, uh, and the Kenny Vaughn trio was playing two of Nashville's most premier of premier, you know, musicians. 
And I was like, how did I not know this was going on? And I was like, oh, yeah, it's Nashville. Like, this kind of stuff is happening every night. Every day. You know, like, it's, it's impossible to keep up with. Yep. You know, so... Well, uh, so yeah, I'm just thankful to be around it and, and, you know, and like to somewhat be a part of, of, of this scene, like not on that caliber, you know, like maybe one day, but, um, but yeah, I'm just thankful for, for any of it. Well, you're, you're certainly getting there and, you know, I, I will just say this along the lines of the energy that you put out, um, you know, my personal experience with you, Jerry, was the energy that you were putting out the, the the night that I got to catch your show with Amanda was, hey, walk up and say hello. You know what I mean? You, you did not have yeah. the rock star thing about you at all. And, you know, if I recall, I think you kind of just sat down at the bar and ordered a, a water or a Diet Coke or something. I can't remember exactly, but we kind of sat there. I after, ordered a buttery nipple. Yeah, I, know, I, that, I, that was a drink that we kept teasing them about earlier in the day. I got you. But, but I mean, we just we just sat there and talked for like probably 35, 40 minutes after the show. And it was great. And we exchanged information, you know, the Nashville handshake, yeah. exchanged business cards. And, um, you know, here we are a couple, three years later. You're just doing so much incredible stuff. And, and I just want to say, you know, you are welcome on this program anytime. So when you get your new record done with with Brent Cobb. I want you to come back and talk about that process and, and everything that you have going on, but you're just, you're making a lot of really good waves, you know, and um, nothing but the best for you, man. I, I, I hope you continue working as much as you want. I'll say it that way. Yeah, no, thank you. I, you know, like I said, you're, you're, you know, a lot of times I'm just working with my head down, you know, like not really thinking, I'm, you know, like subconsciously I'm thinking of the big picture, but like I, I'm, I'm putting it, you know, like everything's coming from my heart and I'm really, really hoping that other people are like picking up on that. So it's nice to see that, you know, like that people are, you know, like that it's translating well, because it's kind of like, have you ever heard the Stones record, Goat's Head Soup? Of course. Okay. So, um, I, I, I've befriended, Bobby Keys before he passed away and the way that I befriended him was um, I asked him I was like I, I put a band together and I wanted to do uh, Sticky Finger and uh, and he was like you know yeah yeah I, I, you know like I played on all that stuff so yeah like when when do you want to do it and I told him when I wanted to do it and uh, and he was like okay great you know like this is what I charge and I said oh boy um, I don't know if we can afford that. He said, well, what do you think you can't afford? And, you know, and I told him a price and he was like, don't ever tell anybody that I did a show for you for that. <laughs> he was like, he was like, oh, you guys are kids and, you know, like, and you're, you're up and coming. It's like, and I've been there before. And he was like, that's the only reason I'm doing it. And so like from that day on, I was like, this rock legend, you know, like the yeah. guy that's played with everybody on everything, you know, like, taking a chance on us, like, you know, like showing up, this could be a total train wreck or a nightmare, you know, like, but he showed up to, you know, like do it, man, we packed the house that night, like mostly obviously because of his name and it was great. And like, I felt good, like paying him and, you know, like, and then it there on, you know, like people were like, yo, can I get Bobby's info? Because I want to, you know, like I want to play a, on a record and, you know, like I would reach out to him and be like, Hey, is it cool if I, and, you know, he'd be like, this is what I charge. Like if they can afford that, then, you know, pass the information on, you know, but like we built, we built up like a friendship all the way up until he passed. But after we did that record and after a couple of times of, you know, like referring, you know, like people for him, you know, for session stuff, uh, he, he called me and he was like, I bet you guys won't do goat's head soup. And I was like, 
I bet you we will. So like we scheduled a date to do it. And you know, like he charged me the same rate and boy, do none of those songs translate well live. Yeah. Like they are so like that song, that that record, those structures are all there's no consistency. Like there is no like, okay, this measure ends here or this, you know, like verse ends here and like all the verses are saying they are all over the place. And as a drummer who loves structure, it was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. But um but, you know, like, I just remember being like, that's not a record that you do live. Like, after we did it, and, like, we, we made it through okay. It wasn't the best. It wasn't, like, Sticky Fingers where, like, we crushed it. And it's like that one, like, I left, and I was like, well, I think people got their money's worth. But, like, if I had to do it again, I definitely wouldn't. But, you know, like, for me, <laughs> it was a challenge. And, you know, and it was a challenge set by him. So, like, from that point on, I was like, okay, so not everything translates well live. So, you know, like, you never really know. Once again, it just kind of goes back to the whole thing. Like, I I play for myself, you know, like, giving it my all. But, you know, like, it's the, the energy that I, I'm able to feed off of, the fans and, like, the friends and, you know, like, the environment that allows me to do what I do. And, um, and I just want to give my most to them because I feel like they – I owe them that much if not so much more because it takes a lot to get out nowadays and go to a show. So um, anytime anybody shows up, it doesn't matter. And I've had this mentality my entire life. If it's one person or it's 2,500 or it's 10,000, like I'm going to give the same caliber performance. There is no automated like, okay, let's just get through this shit. Like, you know, like this is, you know, this is what we came to do. Yeah. Well, and it shows in your playing. I mean, I I can't say enough good things about you as a human being or as a musician. I mean, you're just you're salt of the earth. Good people, Jerry. Um, And I appreciate Oh, yeah, Uh, man. I'm I'm the the little Wayne of country music, man. I just can't really (laughs) help it. (laughs) It's it's all good, brother. It's all good. I'll tag that in there because I I know that's how some people, like you were saying earlier, you know, like it's like, you know, you say my name and you might not reference it, but it's like the black guy with the dreads and the white glasses. Like, oh, yeah. Like, (laughs) I know that guy. <laughs> well, it's oh, fantastic. Yeah. If you if you ever see a dude with really big white glasses at your local donut shop, that's Jerry. Go, yeah, that's me. Go you say go say hi to him. And you know, when I do my intro for this episode, I'll explain the donut reference. Yeah. <laughs> so. That was my favorite part about the Modern Drummer article is like they, you know, like me and um, me and Jeff were just like kind of cutting up in the beginning. And and he was like, you know, like he describes himself as just a weird dude looking for donuts. And I was like, that's basically my life. Like I'm wandering around aimlessly, like fear and loathing in Las Vegas, except for donuts. That's basically (laughs) how it is. It's so Um, good. So good. Yeah. Well, Jerry, man, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Like I said, it's an open invite. Come back anytime. I, I really yeah. do. I really do mean that. But uh, thanks for doing it, man. So, um, yeah, I, it was my pleasure. And it's such an honor and a privilege to, to you know, to, to speak on, on, on the cat on the podcast. And uh, as soon as I get uh, some info on this on this Brent record, you know, like how that's going to go down um, and hopefully I make the cut to make it on there. Um, you know, like I'll, I'll definitely let you know. So that way, because I, since it's been a couple of years or it's you know, been a year and a half since I've recorded with Dave, I'm curious to see, you know, like how this, you know, every artist is different. So, uh, every process is different. So I'm just, I'm, I'm excited for, for, you know, like what's in the near future. I just closed on a house today. So I know that's going to keep me super busy for like the next month, but, um, we start back up with Brent. Uh, in June and I'm just, I'm ready for the rest of the year. I'm so ready to play some more and, 
and and you know and be out there so yeah fantastic man thank, we'll, thank you so much for having me absolutely well we'll be looking for you okay sounds great all right Either man way. thanks jerry yeah till next time all right, guys and girls, that is going to wrap up episode 69 of the Drum Shuffle. Thank you so much for tuning in. We simply cannot put this show out every week without you guys listening in week in and week out. As always, go ahead and hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using to listen in. It helps us more than you'll ever know. If you're into helping out the Drum Shuffle, send a link to a friend. The web address is thedrumshuffle.com. You can find more information on me over at jamieeds.com. There's all sorts of social media links there that you can click on and follow us through those social channels as well. Uh, and of course, our email address is the Podcast at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. Uh, and we do answer every single email that we receive throughout the week. Next week, I'm going to be joined by the great Matt Slocum, just a fantastic new record out. Um, as a matter of fact, I just got my hands uh, on the vinyl copy of that. Matt sent that to me, uh, and it's much appreciated. But I am going to be joined by the great Matt Slocum next week, so you're certainly not going to want to miss that. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. We truly, truly appreciate you doing so. So until next time, may your head stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers, everybody. Cheers.